Welcome to another Infographic Instant conference presentation with Brian Michael. In this episode, we'll look at financial centers, polyarchy, and competitiveness. Does political participation change a financial center's competitiveness? The question is naturally important for many countries nowadays. When we look at important questions such as Brexit or Hong Kong's eventual reunification or rejoining China in 2047, we see that the extent of democraticness of institutions is a key policy question for leaders in these jurisdictions. This idea of polyarchy, as we know it, stems from a man named Robert Dahl, who conceived of polyarchy not necessarily in terms of autocracy or democracy, but as those multiple ruling groups in a society, each ruling group playing its part in the overall governance of a jurisdiction. Let's look at Hong Kong and Singapore as rival international financial centers to see how this question plays out. Many people point to the restricted democratic institutions of Singapore as helping to promote Singapore's rise as an international financial center. They point to Lee Kuan Yew and the overall stability that Yu's political party brought to Singapore as a way of building an international financial center. Along with Singapore's polyarchy comes relatively restrained political discussions in their parliament, relatively close connections with government through institutions such as Temasek. Whereas in, in Hong Kong, we see much more vibrant democratic institutions as represented by the rough and tumble of Hong Kong's own legislative council as part of its very vibrant politics. Yet at the center of Hong Kong's polyarchy, just like we saw important groups or polyarchies governing Singapore, we similarly see powerful groups of bankers and other polyarchs running Hong Kong's own financial policies. So we've seen two very different political models of running an international financial center, and the question naturally arises, well, which one is better for a jurisdiction looking to break into this international rivalry of financial centers? There is no best political institution. Instead, political institutions and polyarchy in those political institutions needs to evolve in response to outside and internal pressures. We see that competitive pressures from abroad lead certain jurisdictions, political leaders, and particularly those in their key polyarchies, to restrict the extent of democracy in order to push financial policy in a particular direction. It's this restriction of the extent of democracy which helps the International Financial Center adopt and implement those policies which help it compete internationally. However, over time, this simple restriction of new ideas, new interests doesn't serve an international financial center as they've squeezed out all of the internal cooperation that they're going to get. And instead, they need to rely more on new ideas, new interests, new groups in order to spur financial innovations. Thus, we see an increasing in democracy or polyarctic democracy, if one wants to be more formal in order to provide the new ideas which helps regrow an international financial center that might have become too constrained over time in its search for international competitiveness. What do the data say about this relationship between democracy or polyarchy and the competitiveness of an international financial center? 
Figure 4 from our paper shows the seeming relationship between the extent of democracy and the competitiveness of an international financial center. These data show the international financial centers they rank as contender, specialist, diversified, or leader jurisdictions. In contrast with the Economist Intelligence Unit's categorization of political systems' extent of democracy, we see these same jurisdictions ranked as authoritarian, hybrid, flawed, or full. The overall trend of these data seems to suggest that full democracies tend to have a leadership advantage in competing internationally for assets under management, and we see a gentle sloping gradient away from these full democracies and their leadership position toward authoritarian regimes which only have contender status or are not even ranked necessarily in any positive categorization of these international financial centers. Indeed, some data such as that shown in figure 6 tend to point toward the advantages that autocratic rule or at least less widely held democratic participation has in promoting the competitiveness of an international financial center. In this figure, we see the risk or probability of having a better international financial center. We see that amongst those most democratic jurisdictions, they have a lower risk of being a more competitive international financial center, whereas in those jurisdictions that rank poorly on this democracy variable, such as those jurisdictions that are ranked in the bottom half of all countries, their having lower democratic participation tends to coincide with their improved risk or probability of having a more competitive international financial center. These data foreshadow the extent to which reductions in democracy, and later as we'll describe polyarchy, coincide with a financial center's competitiveness. Let's look at some more nuanced data now, showing how democracy correlates with success for some jurisdictions, but not for others. Figure 9 shows, for various jurisdictions, the correlation between polyarchy and this international financial center's competitiveness. So, for example, for Singapore and New York, we find in the data that when these jurisdictions became more democratic, they also became more competitive. On the other end of the spectrum, we see that for jurisdictions such as Stockholm, Frankfurt, Budapest, these jurisdictions that saw increasing amounts of polyarchy, their competitiveness as international financial centers actually fell. So we cannot say that there's a one-way directional trend toward democracy and increasing international financial center competitiveness. And we see this data against the background of an unfavorable policy stance toward democracy over the last 10 years or so. Figure 18C shows the correlation between IFC competitiveness and polyarchy, and what we see is that generally this correlation has decreased over the years. Namely, that democracy has had less and less of an effect at improving an international financial center's competitiveness than it has previously. 
Looking at other trends in these data, we see that well, not only has democracy been less useful in helping international financial centers become more competitive, but the very nature of that international network has changed over time. So if we see on the left-hand side of Figure 18D that the international financial center network was less complex with fewer key nodes in that network. Ten years later, we saw a very different network with a lot more key international financial centers sitting at the center of this global network. We see much denser financial relationships between these financial centers, and in general, we see much more variety in the political systems of these centers. Figure 18E, in fact, repeats this overall analysis, showing how polyarchy has had fewer benefits for an international financial center looking to become more competitive. Instead of showing the correlation over time, this figure shows the value of such polyarchy in millions of dollars that the financial institutions in this jurisdiction have been able to attract from abroad, and so we see that over time. In millions of dollars, polyarchy's impact on these financial flows has decreased from almost 20 million dollars to less than 15 million dollars. The figures in the black box show the dispersion of financial transactions between a jurisdiction and its partners. So we can interpret these data roughly as the bigger these percentages are, the more diverse a jurisdiction's financial partners are. These data show that over the decade, the dispersion or the difference in these international financial centers has decreased. In terms of the amounts of money that these international financial centers have been able to attract, thus we see international financial centers becoming more similar, and we see the power of their polyarchy and any increase in democracy that these political institutions have built in over time. We see a decreasing value to these institutions over time. Yet we know that the traditional ways of analyzing these phenomena simply don't work. Figure 38A shows the results of a traditional regression. Usually, the way academics try to answer questions like this, they put the amount of money that a jurisdiction wants to attract on the left-hand side of an equation. They put the extent of democracy or polyarchy on the right-hand side of the equation, and they see well how much does democracy influence the amount of money that a jurisdiction is able to attract. And if we try and do this using conventional regression means, we see that the parameter values fluctuate wildly. Democracy can have a positive or negative impact on money a financial center is able to attract, and that we can't sort out. Well, when is democracy good for a financial center or bad for a financial center from these typical ways of handling data? A more refined technique, which economists call vector autoregression, has similar problems. Our figure 40 shows the results of this type of autoregression on polyarchy and the centrality of a financial center in the international network. So what we do in this analysis is we look at its effect on that jurisdiction centrality in the network of international financial centers. We also look at the extent to which a jurisdiction's success in the past has helped it remain a financial center in the future. This type of analysis simply parrots history. 
In other words, we've seen decreasing polyarchy over time, and it's no surprise that this analysis points to further decreases in polyarchy, Dagen centrality, over time for all jurisdictions, which is both empirically not true, as we already saw, and just pragmatically not true because policymakers can do almost whatever they want. These data clearly point to the need to analyze these data much better, and we discuss this much better analysis in the next section. So how do we model and how do we think about estimating the question that we've been talking about? Before we can talk about our model, we first have to think about what we call the micro-foundations, the games that different institutional actors play in order for us to see the way that financial centers respond to increasing amounts of polyarchy. In the game we model, we assume that there's government and that there are international financial centers in a particular jurisdiction, and that the government can offer a certain supply of polyarchy, which banks then demand, depending on incentives that they receive from their foreign investors. And we reflect the strategic interaction of jurisdictions that are all playing this same game internally. Now, as resources come into the country, we see that finance captures a certain amount of polyarchy, a certain share of policymakers' time and interest, or a certain share of power, for lack of a better word. And we depict this political share in figure 13 as this pie you see in the top part of the figure. So as finance receives more foreign investment, we see their political share increase. However, over time, we see that if finance becomes too big and or too uncompetitive, if their share in the overall political process is no longer reaping the political returns that those in power want, or isn't reaping the benefits that financiers themselves want, then there's decreasing returns to this power, and we see the entry of different interests, both politically and economically. We see that finance looks to other sectors in order to provide some of the innovation, some of the finance, and indeed some of the new sectors that finance needs in order to attract capital into the jurisdiction. We see something like supply and demand for polyarchy balancing both internally and externally based on the way this game plays out in other jurisdictions in the international financial network. We see that for all intents and purposes our local banks receive some kind of signal from abroad dictating whether there's an appetite for innovation or dictating whether they just want cheaper finance or finance directed more toward a particular policy, whether that be legitimate, ethical, or what have you. The government's own demand function then balances the political gains from more polyarchy versus the political gains from letting financiers have more capital and power. Figure 14 shows the result of the way these games play out across these jurisdictions as basically the supply and demand for polyarchy. The figure specifically shows the amount of financial assets as the dependent variable and the extent of polyarchy as the independent variable. Namely, the extent of polyarchy is the thing that our political system is choosing in order to maximize the amount of financial assets that our own banks are able to attract so that we can earn profits on those assets and tax revenue. We summarized our argument by looking at two effects. 
basically an innovation effect and a focus effect. The innovation effect shows increasing amounts of financial assets as polyarchy in the jurisdiction rises because of the new ideas that new interest groups bring and the payoffs that we have to give to these groups that have been waiting patiently for their turn at the pulpit. The focus effect, on the other hand, shows a negative relationship between financial assets and polyarchy, reflecting this theme in the literature and in the empirics we see, namely that increases in polyarchy in the short term seem to correspond with decreases in the amount of financial assets that banks are able to attract. The overall relationship between these two factors depends on the balance, or the average, if you will, of these two factors. And we show one of these averages in our figure, which many viewers will recognize as a Bezier curve, or as a simple weighted average of these two effects. And so what we would expect over time is that as polyarchy increases, so do financial assets up to a point, whereas in after that point, increases in polyarchy only dissuade international investors from investing in that jurisdiction. Similarly, we can illustrate the dynamics of our game theory model, as shown in figure 17, through these five plates. If the base case reflects international financial centers just doing their own thing, then we see in plate 2 that as one jurisdiction becomes more focused, it increases assets, as shown by increasing links. Other jurisdictions then subsequently increase their own focus namely decrease the amount of polyarchy in their political institutions in order to attract more of these links and thus more finance. After a while, in this race to the bottom, we see that jurisdictions have to increase their polyarchy in order to bring this innovation and new ideas. In our model, we show the benefits of this polyarchy as a simple shifting of these edges or links in the international matrix of financial centers. Thinking about these changes in the line diagram we just showed, we see that as a jurisdiction becomes more focused, it provides incentives to other jurisdictions to also increase their own focus in order to stay competitive. We reflect this as a leftward shift of the focus effect in figure A6 with a decrease in polyarchy and a decrease in our financial assets as we are simply responding to that other jurisdiction. We don't show it here, but in the paper we show that over time we'll see innovation effects similarly shifting to the left reflecting an increase in polyarchy even though financial assets continue to slide. Over time, as a stock of innovations brings online increases in foreign investment, we see this whole process reverse with polyarchy increasing and financial assets increasing. And eventually in this circle, in this dance, we see that polyarchy and financial assets reach some kind of dynamic equilibrium, keeping in mind that jurisdictions are always acting and reacting vis-a-vis -vis each other. Now, how do we test this model? Before we can test the model, we actually have to clean up this data in order to remove effects that we don't want. Figure 7a show how several covariates or several foreign variables can interfere with the analysis that we want to conduct. 
So as we see in the figure, the quality of institutions would certainly play a role in intermediating this influence. We see the natural productivity of the country. We see that the amount of money the country has could even crowd out the need for foreign assets and thus affect the way polyarchy influences these assets. One easy story to tell might be that as government debt rises, we need more money to pay that debt and thus we seek resources from abroad in terms of foreign bank deposits in order to find the capital we need to service that debt. The performance of a local stock market could also impact on this relationship, namely that if a local stock market's doing very well, foreigners will want to put their money into that jurisdiction's financial institutions, no matter the extent of polyarchy in that jurisdiction's political institutions. Thus, there's a wide range of factors that could influence or intermediate this relationship, and in our study we actually categorize them into five different groups of variables. How do we concretely adjust the value of cross-border bank assets and thus the value of finance going across a border? Figure 26 shows how we've adjusted this network of cross-border bank liabilities across countries by focusing on the lead investor as well as the way that investment drops off as we rank jurisdictions. So for example, looking at these data, we see that for Australia in 2005, the lead partner jurisdiction, the US, put roughly $35,000 in cross-border bank liabilities into Australia. And we see similarly that if we look at the second-ranked partner, the UK, the third-ranked partner, the fourth-ranked partner, and so on, each partner placed roughly 35% fewer bank liabilities than the jurisdiction before it. And if we regress the largest partner's cross-border bank liabilities, and if we regress the extent of this drop-off, we can arrive at a new curve, if you will, a new relationship between the way jurisdictions put money into Australia. And as we see in this particular circumstance, the value of those cross-border bank liabilities would have increased by three and some odd times, and we see that the drop-off would have been much less across jurisdictions. Namely, more jurisdictions would have given Australia more money. Figure 27 shows the way that we adjusted our International Financial Center network before making these changes from our regressions and after. So if we see a very tight, densely packed network of international financial centers before making the adjustments, we see that after a much cleaner view of these international financial centers. Yet we don't want to just know about the network. We want to know each center's centrality within these networks. Naturally, it's very difficult to depict an investment center's entire network. But what we can do more easily is figure out, well, how central is each network in the international matrix of financial centers? And the way we measure that is through something known as an eigencentrality. Namely, we look not only at how central a jurisdiction is in collecting investments from other jurisdictions, but this idea of eigen, eigencentrality, actually traces through these investment links. So not only do we look at Switzerland's centralities vis-a-vis -vis France, 
but we also take into account France's links with Australia, Australia's links with Canada, Canada's links with Korea, and so by tracing through every single financial center's financial links with the other jurisdictions, we can figure out, well, how central is Switzerland, in this example, vis-a-vis -vis all other centers, knowing that all this money is sloshing around these international financial networks. So in some ways, this type of analysis is broader because it looks at the entire network rather than just one jurisdiction centrality vis-a-vis -vis its immediate financial partners. What does our study show? Figure 32 shows the way that polyarchy in some of the jurisdictions we looked at changes in response to other jurisdictions' polyarchy. Namely, we see that the correlations between Australia and Austria, Austria-Canada, Canada-the UK, Austria-the US, and so forth, we see very large correlations between all these jurisdictions' polyarchies. So it's clear that in a bit more than half of all the correlations that we looked at, after controlling for the effects of macroeconomic and other variables, that polyarctic changes in one jurisdiction, they spread or they seem to influence the extent of polyarchy in other jurisdictions' political institutions. Only in one case did we see a negative correlation. Illustrating the extent to which this polyarchy seems to spread through the network, figure 34 shows the extent to which polyarchy changes in one jurisdiction versus the next in repeats of our study. The problem with traditional econometrics is that the researcher might take some figures, run the analysis, and just show the results, not taking into account the natural variability in their data. We used a technique known as Bayesian analysis. In this analysis, we take into account the natural variability of polyarchy and the natural variability of our other variables in order to simulate almost different dimensions, different worlds in which this polyarchy might have changed. By looking at these different dimensions, by running these multiple simulations over time, we get a far more accurate view of how polyarchy spread in these jurisdictions than if we simply looked at our data one time. So if we see in the first simulation that the U.S. had relatively low weighted degree, in other words, the U.S.'s centrality had been relatively low just looking at the data, we see that the U.S.'s centrality, when considering this notion of eigencentrality, or taking into account the fact that the U.K.'s financial institutions will affect the Netherlands' financial institutions, which will affect Sweden's financial institutions, and when we take all this run-through of international financial centers, we see that the U.S.'s centrality in this overall network looks far bigger than it would if we simply looked at the weighted degree. The second simulation shows much greater similarity between the simple obvious weighted degree of the U.S.'s polyarchy and its polyarchy after considering this whole eigencentrality procedure. And as we go through all the 1,000 simulations that our algorithm required of our data, we could paint a general picture of the way that polyarchy in one jurisdiction changed in response to another jurisdiction's polyarchy. Figure 35 shows the way that polyarchy changes in responses to other jurisdictions' financial centrality in the international financial network. And what figure 35 does specifically is look at something called a Bayesian conditional distribution. 
And all that means is it says, look, let's break up all jurisdiction centrality according to the most central ones and the least central ones. Of all those centralities, what do we know about polyarchy at that time? And according to this analysis, we see that for jurisdictions that were not very central at all, had increasing amounts of polyarchy. We saw that polyarchy was not rising very fast at all in these very central jurisdictions. Whether we look at the way polyarchy is changing for these jurisdictions over time, or whether we scale this polyarchy according to how big the financial center is in the first place, the obvious conclusion still remains. Polyarchy goes up the fastest for jurisdictions that are just not very central. To flip that conclusion on its head, we can say that very central financial centers do not have political institutions where polyarchy is rising very quickly. And notice how careful I am to talk about the change in polyarchy, about polyarchy rising or falling, because in this figure we're looking at the change in this polyarchy, not the level. So from figure 35, we might conclude that polyarchy and thus democracy is bad for an international financial center. Where we see polyarchy helping a jurisdiction centrality is when polyarchy responds to an international financial center's own centrality. Namely, in figure 36, we show how, in various jurisdictions, its own polyarchy changed as its centrality rose. For a lot of jurisdictions, as that jurisdiction got bigger, as it became more central, that polyarchy rose in response. Now why do I say in response? Figure 31 shows a type of analysis known as spectral analysis. I won't go into the details of this analysis here other than to say that using complicated statistical procedures such as Fourier analysis, such as wave analysis, we're actually able to look at causality between polyarchy and this eigencentrality almost unequivocally that polyarchy is the response of the eigencentrality and not the other way around. Remember we talked about polyarchy changing over time in response to a financial center centrality. Now in this dynamic view of polyarchy we're going to expect some countries to be becoming more polyarctic and some countries to become less polyarctic over any particular snapshot that we take. And figure 37 shows one of those snapshots for the 10 years that we looked at. Namely, the figure shows the increase in polyarchy for the first three years of the decade we looked at and the change in that last three years for the decade that we looked at. For some countries like Sweden, Ireland, Denmark, and the Netherlands, polyarchy rose in response to these jurisdictions' own eigencentrality. Whereas in, in places like France and the UK, polyarchy continued to fall or increasingly fell as these jurisdictions became more central. So we don't want to give the impression that all jurisdictions polyarchy rises as they become bigger and more central, but we want to give a dynamic view where jurisdictions are becoming more democratic, more autocratic over time, and that this democracy or autocracy is changing in response to this overall configuration of eigencentrality in the international financial network, not only with this jurisdiction's own eigencentrality, but also with its trading partners' eigencentrality. Thus, as a result of these data, we see a clear transition path. 
for a set of incentives in the international financial network, we do actually see some jurisdictions' polyarchy rising as a method of helping their financial centers become more competitive. Yet, particularly for highly developed financial centers, this polyarchy to be increasing over time as they seek to remain competitive in this international configuration, thus showing that polyarchy responds to a jurisdiction's eigencentrality and that that dynamic response depends on its competitiveness and on polyarchy in those other jurisdictions. The best way to tweak political institutions in a place like London or Hong Kong is not simply to say, well, we need more democracy, we need more polyarchy, uh, we need to increase autocracy, but instead to look at where the competitiveness of that jurisdiction is vis-a-vis -vis its peers and rivals, and then to decide whether political institutions need to be reined in in order to pursue a more coherent financial policy or to be extended in order to pay off those groups for their patients, to seek innovation, and to promote overall cooperation with the financial center. This has been another Infographic Instant with Brian Michael.